Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode number 39 of Material Issues. I'm Mark Hirschberger of Pop Detective Records, and joining me, as usual, my very good friend and the leader of the International Pop Overthrow Festival all over the world, my good friend, David Bash. How are you this evening, David? Um, well, it's uh, noon, actually, in Southern California. I'm just but, so used uh, to saying this evening. It's, 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 the, it's the evening for our guest. Yes. We'll just and, say that. Um, and, and, but, but appropriately enough, I'm about as tired as I would be late in the evening. I've been working on, you know, IPO Liverpool. And so that's, that's forced me to be awake at like 2, 3, 4 in the morning my time to uh, deal effectively with so many bands from all over Europe. So yeah, and that's pretty, that's still at the Cavern Club, but it's going to be at the Cavern Pub, both both in Liverpool, correct? Yeah, and there were a few changes this year, both good and not so great. We're um, we got our eighth day back. That was that's the good news. We we'd been doing eight days a week, as they say, uh, for many years, and uh, we lost a date, but got it back. So the new dates are May fifteenth through twenty second. And uh, the bad news, unfortunately, is that we don't have use of the front stage the, uh, this year. The Cavern has decided to just do Beatles stuff on, on the front stage all day, every day. So, and, you know, that's their trade. That's their trade. That's what brings, brings in the, uh, the revenue. And I, I get it. Um, it you know, it's a shame. But, hey, we had the front stage for 17 years. Right, right. So um, if we well, only have nice the pub, not so bad, right? You got and bands coming in from all over the world. Which we're going to have 110 bands from all over the world. And uh, it's not, you know, it's going to be great. And, you know, I've got Phoenix coming up and uh, Chicago, both in April. We, uh, I've put together dates for L.A. in July. We've got Vancouver uh, set up at the end of August into early September. And we've got Arlington, Texas again in mid-September, and I'm sure we'll have some of the East Coast cities. Um, speaking of East Coast cities, our, our guest is going to be playing some of those, as well as uh, West Coast cities, and both Mark and I are thrilled about that because we'll both get to see our guest uh, live for the first time. And um, what can I say? I mean, this is truly an honor. It's not every day that we have somebody on Material Issues who's had uh, a number one record on the Billboard charts. And not just that, but a couple of other top fives, some top 20s, a lot of huge hits in England. And, you know, what some people don't know, and it's unfortunate that they don't, is that our guest has been recording albums throughout the years. Um, he had one self-titled a, a couple of years ago and has a new one called Driven coming out. And that's going to be somewhat of a focal point of a tour that he's doing um, in the in 10 different cities a, across the United States, including Philadelphia, which is uh, near where Mark lives, and Los Angeles, which is near where, where I live. So it's going to be a thrill for us to see him. And uh, like I said, this is truly an honor uh, to have uh, this man who's done just so many great, great records over the years. And still going strong. Would you please give a huge material issues welcome to Mr. Gilbert O'Sullivan? <laughs> yeah. And there he is. Hello, David. Hello, Mark. How good are to you? see you, Gilbert. How are you feeling? How are you? I'm good, thank you. I'm good, thank you. You you, you look good. You, you sound good. You're still going on. You got a new album coming out. You're coming back over to the United States for a, a great city winery based tour. Um, things are going pretty well for you now as the pandemic has has kind yeah. of opened things up a little bit. Yeah, it's good for everybody, isn't it? That, that yeah. bands, for those bands that depend on touring for their income and stuff, it's 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 really great news for them and stuff. So your heart goes out to all the people who throughout this lockdown have suffered so badly. But I think this year, look, things look like they're getting back to a near normality. I think so. Uh, it, this on a personal level is very good for me because two years ago when the tour was originally set, I was going to be um, out of pocket 
uh, I wanted to see you, but when you were in Los Angeles, I was going to be in Chicago doing my music festival. This year, it, 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 the tour in LA is scheduled for March, and I'll be home. So you're going to come and see us. You're going to come and see us. You're going to come and see us. I'll be there. Okay, cool. They would be there, and I'll be at the Philly show. I can't wait for show number two of your tour at the City Winery in Philadelphia. That's right well, over the bridge. It, it's taken us so long to get back into America because from about 1990, my only my only American tour proper was in 1973 after the success of Alone Again, Clear, and Get Down, all million sellers. But a terrible mistake was made in the Moody Blues, which should have happened as a start off. They put me out into arenas on my own and stuff, which was a big mistake. And so the tour got canceled halfway through. That's why we never made wow. the West Coast. <clears throat> and so we now move on to 1990 when I started touring regularly with my band, have a great band. And throughout that time from 1990, almost up to the present, we have tried to get back to America. But as you guys know, the cost of bringing a band to the States is pretty expensive. Now, three years ago, my guitar player and I, Bill Shanley, my guitar player, we decided that we would do an up close and personal uh, concert over two hours, just the two of us, me on piano, him on guitar. And it's been very successful. And that opened the door to you guys. Suddenly, yeah. all of a sudden, we the, the offers came in. And that tour in 2020 should have followed on from the two we, we did in New York, just outside. So it's, it's such a nice feeling to be able to perform for you guys in America. Now, is that is that something you would um, now? Obviously, I mean this this ten day tour. It's a short, it's a short little tour. Um, you're you're playing wonderful venues, and I, and I'm sure the ticket sales are going to uh, sell right out really quick. Is that something you would come back and and start doing more often, as far as maybe personal shows of you and your guitar player play, yeah. playing a, a lot of venues? Um, it's a big, it's a big start, uh, Mark. It's a big start for us to be doing these venues. We hope to build on that. Mm -hmm. I mean, the touring for me is the, not the most important thing. Touring is next to the writing. The songs are the key to be able to tour. Without the songs, there'd be no tour. There'd be no right. art. I love songwriting and stuff. And I'm always allowed when I've written the songs. I'm coming up with songs. No, no, uh, what do you writer's block for me? I'm always capable of coming up with songs. And with those songs, I want to be able to record. And that's why it's a joy to be able to every two years or so to, to bring out a new album and then go on the road for that period of time to promote it. So most of this year will be taken up with Japan, you guys, Europe and the UK, a big time in the UK. Wow. And then you know, and by the end of the year, we'll, we'll look forward to, you know, coming back to you in a, in a, at a future date and, and building up on that. So it's an exciting prospect to be touring America. It really yeah, one is. of the things I want people to know um, and I'm sure you do too, is that you've been doing, you, you're not anywhere near an oldies act. You're not going to go out and just tour the hits. You've got, you're going to be playing some deep cuts and some recent stuff as well. Yeah, um, I mean, people I, need to know about that. And I'm not, I'm not against people to do that, uh, David. I mean, it, because for some people, that's how they make their living. Sure. Yeah, it's good, but it's not for me. The combination of what I do, which is, I think is the most important thing, is of course, over two hours, we include the well-known songs, but we also include album tracks that people have written to me about and saying their favorite. And then likewise, a sample of new material. So the balance is there, all written by the same person. <laughs> but it's a joy to be able to do that. And of course, by doing it with just the two of us, being up close and personal, people get to hear the words, perhaps, right. clearer than they might have done if we had the band. So which is important, yeah. I, I, which, uh, beside, besides the music, uh, lyrically, it, it's, it's poetry and, and hearing hearing what you're talking about, what you're saying on a, on a much more personal level uh, is what I'm looking forward to, especially. Um, and as you said, deep cuts and, and tracks that people have written to you about. We've gotten so many comments when we started posting about this show coming up tonight. People saying, ask him about this track. Ask him about this one. How did the, And it, it got to be out of control to the point where we'd be on here for four hours if we had to ask every question that came <laughs> in because people, people love a wide variety of your material from all your albums, which is okay. um, that's nice to hear. That's nice. I mean, I've, always, I've always had good correspondence from, from fans in America picking yeah. up on certain tracks they've liked on previous albums, albums that have not been released in the States, but they've got a hold of them. And so, there's, there's something really nice about that. And of course, I, I reply as best I can to almost anybody who, who writes to me. Well, I think if you're a Gilbert O'Sullivan fan, you're a, you're a Gilbert O'Sullivan fan. I mean, that, that's just you know. 
You're going to find. I want to bring this one out, although it doesn't span your entire career. It's one that maybe some people don't know about. It's a box set that Rhino Handmade did. Yeah, that was um, a limited early 2000s. Yeah, that which, was a limited uh, edition, David. I think it was very limited, but it's still findable. People yeah. know how to find stuff if they really want to. I would yeah. highly recommend it because it spans your career uh, from the you know the later late 60s tracks to around 2003. It has a lot yeah. of album cuts on it, some unreleased. The demo of nothing of uh, nothing rhymes, which is very very cool. So yeah, just uh, wanted to throw that out there because we have a lot of uh, we have a lot of fervent uh, music lovers. Oh, uh, thank you for that. I, you're I welcome. That. Thank you for this. <laughs> I wanted to pop this graphic up real quick, Gilbert. Uh, it shows everybody where you're going to be uh, here in uh, the tour, starting off in Houston, Philadelphia, New York, Boston, Chicago, Nashville, Atlanta, to LA, and then back in Washington D.C. So you're you're hitting every every big city uh, across, across the U.S. Uh, in a short period of time. So um, yeah. we popped up uh, We popped up the the uh, banner link. So anybody that needs information, gilbertosullivan.co.uk, you've got everything involved there from everything you've done to, to the tour information. So they can check you, check you out right there and, and make sure they come on out and see Gilbert O'Sullivan live, man. Shoo. <laughs> so, so tell tell us uh when when did you decide you wanted to be a a, a songwriter and musician was it when you were still in ireland or, or not until you got to swindon well i think the biggest influence you know people talk about what's the biggest influence on you usually a band or a singer or a male or females in my case the radio i have to say radio the radio was always the biggest influence because without the radio i wouldn't have heard the bands the musicians i eventually got to love and so therefore, as a six or seven year old, we all went through that thing of having a little portable radio in the bed at night under the blanket <laughs> so your, your parents couldn't hear you. And that's when you, that's when you get to hear the start of popular music and songs that resonated with me. We used to get a station in Europe called Radio Luxembourg and we would hear the American hits. People like Carole King and Might as well range from September, Buddy Holly stuff. And so that was it. But then what happened was that in 1962 with the arrival of the Beatles, up to that point, we loved Cliff Richard and The Shadows, very popular in England. But you never felt you could be in a band like them. You never felt that you could do what Cliff Richard did, be a singer. Suddenly, when the Beatles came on the scene, they wrote great songs. We loved them. And they had no musical theory. They couldn't read music and stuff. They were able to do it through a love of music. And that, in effect, is what led to all contemporary songwriters, I think, being able to, to do it. Not because they can read or write, simply because of the love of music. That's there. And that then, with me, obviously everybody in, in England wanted to be in a band, just like when the Beatles turned up in America on the Ed Sullivan show. Everybody after that show wanted to, to grow their hair and, and play guitars. And, and do that. <laughs> so it's, it, it's um, <clears throat> so that's, you know, so, so my first band, I was a drummer. And um, my second band uh, was a kind of youth club band. And that led to a more serious band. But I was starting to write songs. We had a piano in the house which my mother allowed me to put in the garden shed. So after college, I would go out there for a couple of hours at night and on the weekend and started to come up with little tunes. So I was eventually, you know, just doing it out of just genuine interest. I had no thoughts at that point of being a singer on my own. But the band that we were in that could have been professional, we were very good, contained myself and Rick Davis, who was on keyboards. Yep. And, and the guitar player. Yeah. yeah. And so those two guys, we could have turned professional, which would have meant that we'd have been a professional band and gone on to hopefully have had some success. But um, the bass player and the guitar player were on, um, they had jobs and they didn't want to give up to risk losing their jobs, apprenticeships or whatever. So that meant that Rick and I had to decide what to do. And it, it was at that point that Rick needed to be in a band. So he went off to form a band called The Lonely Ones, a band called The Joint, which ended up being called Supertramp. And then with me, I just end up becoming me. I, I came to London, created this character, and set out to become a, a singer who wrote his songs and looking for success. Now, when you, when you, you said a key thing there, I'm sorry. You said a key thing there when you said created this character. Yeah, Are you talking about the image? Yeah. That you kind of uh, you cut you kind of went down that road and said this is this is what I'm going to do. Yeah, I mean, look, I'm I'm 19, 20 years old. I create this character. I love a Charlie Chaplin. I used to hire a bobtail jacket from the theatric costumes, 
I, I would hire it for the weekend. <laughs> they used to say to me, what's the, what's the production you're hiring it for? I said, it's not for anybody. It's just for me to look in the mirror on Saturday and Sunday. The ring went to you. So I, I, I created it because the character thing was the catalyst for me were the Beatles. Again, they didn't have to have Beatle haircuts. They didn't have to have collarless jackets. They, they looked different. So for me, wanting to be different was the key when I wanted to be a singer. So the character was based on Charlie Chaplin, a sort of just William character. And, you know, nobody liked it. The record company, CBS, hated it and said, please, grow your hair, put on a pair of jeans, look like James Taylor, and you'll be much more successful. And nobody liked it. And they were right. And then the next record company was saying, please drop this image. <laughs> But I was determined because I knew it was nothing to do with songwriting. It wasn't Tiny Tim who didn't write, who didn't do anything else other than be a novelty act. There was serious stuff behind this image. And I liked the contradiction of how I looked as opposed to somebody who wrote the songs, which were quite serious at times. And But anyway, Gordon Mills, my manager then, who took me on in 69, he didn't like the image. But, but, but he said, look, I like your songs and I think you'll be successful. I'm prepared to go along with it. But you know something, uh, Dave, Mark, if he hadn't liked it, I would have walked because I'm, I'm, I was that determined. as Because the strength in me was not about being pugnacious, about being arrogant. It was about I had the songs. I knew I've got these good songs. I just want to present it in the way that I want to do it. And nobody's going to tell me any different. But they were absolutely right to say that you lose fans, you, you won't sell as many records. Because you have to argue that if you were walking around a college campus in 1970, 72, with a Gilbert Sullivan album, you'd be a little embarrassed. How I look in the <laughs> if you were a boy, maybe, but <laughs> meaning, not, meaning the people carrying the albums. But, uh, well, but Gordon, it, it, turned to, Gordon turned out to be right about a few things, that's for yeah. sure. Yeah. Um, namely, telling telling is it ma'am or ma'am i've always telling ma'am that no out of the question shouldn't be the first single alone again naturally there you go there you go right about that but that's an interesting point because because everybody seems to think that when alone again was written i must have felt that this was going to be but no i was happy with the song as i was happy with other songs happy when we were in the studio to record it with out of the question happy when they said out of the question should be the single not disappointed when they didn't pick Alonian. But as you say, Gordon chose it, and it was a big success in England, but not like the success it achieved with you guys. Right, right. Because it became your song. I mean, Alonian is, is America's song. Right. It's not England's song. It was a success in England. I mean, some of the reviews, I kept the reviews of Alonian in England. One of them I love is another little ditty from Little Gilbert. Um, <laughs> if it gets the airplay, it could be a hit. So there you go. <laughs> well now so so it had some popularity in england but not not to the level of the u.s yeah but did you did you um how how did it ha how, how did it happen for you as far as reaching number one in the u.s was it something that you could watch happening and all of a sudden yes we made number one or did you get that classic phone call can you believe this you're number one well i think the first thing that to establish is that the luck and the timing and the judgment that goes into a record being a success. A certain radio station in the States picked up on it. You know the story, this has happened, you've probably heard it, other people have told you. And it spread from them playing it, loving it, and it spread. I mean, it's not, a, it, isn't, it took a long time to break in England, it took about four or five weeks for it to happen, whereas maybe out of the question would have happened quicker. But, but eventually people, the more people heard it, <clears throat> the more people liked it. And so it was a slow, and that lucky that station in the states that picked it up led to all the other stations. You know, you know the story because you oh, must yeah. have further on. And and being number one, you know, it was incredible. The record company were just, and and you know, what can I say? I never, I never envisaged being having a number one record in America. I never envisaged being successful outside of England where I lived. For me, success was about. Uh, writing a song, having a top 10 record, hearing it on the radio, and the postman whistling to it when he delivers your mail. <laughs> <laughs> but there had, to, there had to be some some real celebra celebration the evening of the of knowing I've got a number one in, in America. I just, I always like to know what that feels like for somebody um, with their first number one, that uh, it's it's just got to be, it's got to be, that's a little bit mind-blowing. It's yeah. a mind-blowing. Yeah, very, very special. And that's why, you know, the, the love of the song in America is just, it, 
it's it's defined by the fact that they the covers I get, you know, for, right from people like Sarah Vaughan, Esther Phillips, right through to Michael Bublé and Diane Car uh, Diane, what's her name, Diane, uh, and, and Neil Diamond. Neil Diamond did a lovely version of it and sent me a. Oh yeah, I, I, uh, those kind of things. Yeah, the, yeah, the relationship I have with America on the song is, is very special. I'll, I'll I always think, be grateful for this success. I think one of the things that made it so special to us is we felt it was autobiographical. Uh, it wasn't until much later that I found out that it wasn't about your your mom and your dad and other things uh, other parts of the subject matter that it was really just written about somebody theoretical right but i think the key there is the fact that in my opinion to be a good you don't have to experience something to be able to write about it in, in a sincere way an understanding of the subject i think what makes you a good lyricist is being able to get into a subject without having the experience of, of it and having kind of a your understanding of what somebody might be going through with that. That I think is 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 important to have. And I think that's what happened with the learning because people are surprised that it's not based on personal experience. No, no, right. no, you're absolutely right about that. My, I guess my point being, I think that's what helped make it such a huge hit. Let's look at, for example, Seasons in the Sun by Terry Jacks. Terry Jacks Everybody yeah. thought it was, everyone thought it was about him. They thought it was something he was going through personally. I think that I think that endeared people to the song more, and and that's one of the reasons it was such a huge hit. I'll give um, you an. I, I'll give you an example. You didn't even write it, but let, <laughs> let me give you an example of the opposite of that. You know the song "How Long" by Ace. Do you remember yeah. that? Song? Right. Yeah. I tell this when I'm on tour. The singer of, of Ace, uh, what's his name? Um, Paul oh, Carrick. Paul Paul Carrick. He was in. He gave an interview uh, on a radio station, which I listened to at the time some years back. And on it, they talked about how long, and they and they said, you know, this is a, a, a wonderful song, great success, and it's obviously about a relationship that's gone wrong, and she's been carrying it on behind his back, right? <laughs> then Paul made the infamous mistake, in my opinion, by saying it was written about the bass player leaving the band. So, oh. <laughs> so there's a moral there. Please be very careful when you tell people what your song is about. Oh yeah. <laughs> you might get it wrong <laughs> no it's absolutely true but you know coming but dave david and i coming from pretty much the same age group or whatnot uh, that's just one of those songs that is very iconic to my youth and anywhere i'm at when i hear it i can it takes me right back to a specific place in time it just really it just is one of those songs and mm -hmm. well, well done I, yeah it's a pleasure for me to look at you live and say well done gilbert my god that was good um so thank yeah. you for that thank you for yeah that. And, when I, and when i meet people after the concerts and stuff you know and they tell me that the effect it's had on them that particular song it, it gets to me too i mean i think i might have been aware of that before i wrote it i might have been a bit frightened about doing it but as a young songwriter i was only 22 when i wrote it i was just writing you know, I had two middle sections. I didn't know which one I was going to use. I didn't yet have the title, but I had the, the story. I got into it. I get into those things. I mean, to this day, normally with a lyric for a new song, there's no words. It's just the music. But, I, you know, I start with a blank piece of paper, and then within a couple of days, I'm writing six verses instead of three that I need. Right, right. <laughs> I, get so in, I get so into the subject, which is, and that's what's fascinating about songwriting. And you're very, you're very much a work a day. I mean, you. I've seen interviews where you talk about your process, and 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 you get up and and you get into your studio, you clock in, you you work at your craft all day, and you and you clock out. And yeah, that yeah. You know, we've talked to a lot of artists on here, and just their process and the way. And everybody's different, obviously, but um, there are those just like you. you they, they get up in the morning, and this is what I do. This is this is how I go through it, and and that fascinates me myself, especially for as many albums as, as you've done and as much material as you've done. It's I mean, like today, for example, anything decent come out of today? <laughs> <laughs> I met my daughter's. I met my daughter's flat here in London, so I'm not in Jersey, which, where we live in Jersey and stuff. But the, another point is is um, uh, Mark and and David. When I do that discipline thing of nine to five and stuff, I may get nothing at the end of the day, right? But I haven't wasted the time because I might, it's improved my piano playing. So that so it's not a waste of time. So it doesn't matter if you don't come up with an idea. 
but it, but you keep at it until you get that idea. And when that idea comes to you melodically, ah, oh, that's a gem. And then you'll you'll do the trunk thing like Irvin Berlin. You'll trunk it, and then because good melodies will survive any length of time. But if you finish a lyric and you don't use it, it's arguable that what you're singing about. And I tend to do this, pick up on things that are going on around us. You could become a bit dated. So I tend yeah. never to leave the words, never write the words until I know I'm going to make the record. Right. Okay. And you never know. You might have something in your unconscious mind that. Um, from a day's work that you don't realize and then the next yeah. day it emerges that yeah, can yeah. happen also i wanted to ask you this because you were you know as you said earlier you were steadfastly determined to keep that that image going and yeah. uh of you know of the charlie chatlin look and on the original cover of himself you certainly have that yeah. then alone again becomes a huge hit especially in the states and suddenly the album gets uh, re-released yeah. Uh, now you're it's now the song is on it which it wasn't originally and uh you've got a picture of yourself in a letterman sweater how did, how did you feel about all of that well again it's the image thing uh david the, the image thing is fun it's the, the the serious thing is the writing serious thing is the songwriting the fun is having the image thing so when success came in 1771 i'd had the image for three years already so it was time to move on i saw a buster keaton silent movie and he was wearing the college sweater I thought that's I'm I'm up for that. So that was the next image which appealed to you. The cap and boots wouldn't have appealed to you. Maybe <laughs> would have liked the pudding basin haircut and the, they like the pudding basin haircut now because everybody has short hair. But in '67, my God, long hair was here to stay. Yeah, yeah. I had this pudding basin haircut like a freak. <laughs> and what's your feeling about you know, lyrically from from let's say late '60s, early '70s? Some of the the, the lyrics that you were you were writing as opposed to lyrics that you're hearing today from from uh, the radio and things. And you talk about the radio being your influence, so to speak. Um, uh, lyrically, from, from Alone Again and Claire and Get Down and things like that, as opposed to what you're hearing today. Yeah, but you know something before that? I mean, uh, the second record, the first record was CBS, and I did two songs with them, which were okay. I wasn't that happy. So I moved on. The next record company, I had this song called I Wish I Could Cry. That was written about the death of Bobby Kennedy. I mean, because okay. we were the generation that were really upset by him because we we felt that he would be the next president. So mm -hmm. as a young teenager in the, in, in the UK, we all felt such sadness. So that song was written about him. But, the, and, and, but it was, it, they, they destroyed the recording of it. The great thing about Gordon Mills, who was also my producer, was that when we recorded Nothing Rhymed, which was the, the first success in England, the recording session for that was, for me, was magic because it was the first time I was in a studio playing the piano, singing live with three musicians, a bass player, a guitar player, and the drummer. And I came out of that three-hour session having recorded Nothing nothing Rhymed. And I, I had no idea if it would be a success, but I was, on, I was in seventh heaven because it was such a joy to make what I... You know, to be in a studio and singing and enjoying it for the first time and stuff. So that magical moment and stuff like that. What but, did you think? I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. But oh, what no. did you think about Burton Cummings' version of it? Yeah, but yeah, he was the in the band, the the Canadian the band. Who. Yeah, the he saw me on Top of the Pops when I did the second song, uh, or he might have seen me doing Top of the Pops with nothing rhymed, and that's why he wanted to to record it and stuff. His version was was really good. It's, yeah. um, you know, no, again, I, like it too. I said earlier, you know, it's a compliment to you as a songwriter, whoever does your song. It doesn't have to be a celebrity or a popular artist. If the, the man next door does it, it's a compliment. You don't have to like it. It's the fact that they're prepared to do it, I think, is the key. I've just I had a comment. About, I wanted to ask you about, um, oh, wow, look at this. Yeah, so somebody just tracked down Rhino Handmade and just bought it. <laughs> wow, so there you go. Uh, <laughs> See you, Barry. Enjoy it, Barry. I know you will. I wanted to ask you about underneath the blanket go because I know that wasn't about you listening to the uh, to the radio underneath the blanket. Um, it's a very very interesting song. It has these really unusual tempo changes and uh, yeah, it, it, I've ne I had never heard anything like it. And didn't Lindsay DePaul uh, do a version of that? No, no, she. she... She uh, was with the record. She had her success with Sugar Me, a, a song called Sugar Me. She didn't. Yeah. It's interesting story with with underneath the back. It was the second single after Nothing Rhymes, and Nothing Rhymes is a top ten record in England. First success, everybody's delighted. And then the next song, 
Now, normally, if you if you have a hit with a ballad, the record company tends to say, let's have another ballad type song to follow up and stuff. In my case, Gordon Mills said to me, what have you got? And I said, well, I've got this kind of Ramsey Lewis type uh, song, nothing like, nothing rhyme. Let's just do it. And, stuff. And, I, and I got Rick Davis from Supertramp. Rick, I got him to, they hadn't had any success at this point, but I wanted to kind of help out stuff. So I got a Rick to play on the, on the record. But I, it was only a minor, a very minor hit. Everybody thought I would be a one-hit one wonder. But the interesting thing is I did an interview with a, a well-known English journalist who said, how did you write that song about masturbation? Wow. <laughs> 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 oh, Which is well. a nice segue into Claire because... <laughs> You know, not that that's about masturbation or anything. Not about masturbation. It wasn't about masturbation. Of course not. But, um, but, you know, when I first heard Claire, as I'm sure, as I'm sure a lot of people felt, at first, we, you know, you think it's about, you know, a lover of yours. And then as the song goes on, you start to realize, wait a second. No, it's about uh, a child that he's babysitting, yeah. which it turns out it wasn't your, it wasn't you. Well, you were babysitting her for, for a bit. It was Gordon Mills's daughter. But was was there? Did you have? Was there any controversy attached to that song at all? Um, given that it seemed like it was about one thing, and then near the end, it was about another. Uh, not then, uh, David, but there is now. Yeah. Uh, then it was. I wrote it as a thank you to Gordon and his wife. Gordon for my manager and my career. And, and I used to babysit because I only lived down the road from them and stuff. And they'd ring up and say, Ray, we're off to some big do tonight. Can you come up and babysit? So, yeah, no problem. I, I live around the corner uh, in the house that, that, that uh, Gordon had uh, let me live in to start with. And so I would babysit. And Claire was the one that would get up in the middle of the night and stuff. And, and then, you know, and she got very attached to me in a, in a kind of nice way. Uncle Ray, I'd go up to the house and she'd be there. So, you know, kids do get attached to you. So the song was written as a thank you to Gordon and his wife, Joe, because she used to cook meals for me too. And Gordon plays the harmonica in the solo. He was a, he was a, quite a well-known harmonica player in his day. And uh, Claire is the one that laughs at the end of it. So the song was a number one, big number one in England. People love right. the song. But the question mark in a different, we live in a different world today. It's arguable that I wouldn't be able to write that song today. And I remember right. a, a well-known um, personality in England I, again, I read it in a newspaper. There's a very popular program on English radio for children, nine o'clock every Saturday morning. They play Nelly the Elephant songs for, for kids and stuff. And this 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 person, this well-known personality, asked the 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 person uh, who who um, compared the show or or did the show. Uh, would you? I've got this young little daughter of ours who would love you to play Claire for her. And this guy said, Oh no, no can't do that so there you are yeah. it's a different time i mean uh as you said today yeah. it's a little sad about that and even even some lyrics with like alone again naturally when you when the word gay is in there back then there, there's no there's not there's not even a thought that that there's a connotation to that but um today sadly um people, but we people do are, but we do we perform it mark and it, and yes. it goes it's a really nice song claire it has a nice middle section and stuff and I'm I'm proud of the song. Absolutely. I mean, you know, we get covers of it from from European uh, record companies, European artists, and stuff. And I, I and Claire is we're in contact with her. We meet up with her regularly. Oh, we did wow. a, we did a big concert in Hyde Park where we were part of the various acts in front of twenty five thousand people, and she came along that night. And oh. my my daughters were there with her watching the show when I performed, and when I sang Claire. She almost had tears in her eyes when she heard it. So, so it shows you how much it meant to her and still means to her. So and one thing I didn't know was uh I learned recently, but on Alone Again Naturally, Big Jim Sullivan's playing the guitar. Yeah, the wonderful guitar player. And I yeah, fantastic guitar player. And for whatever reason, I did not know that. And uh been playing that a lot the last week or so, just thinking, boy, that's really well done. And no wonder. Uh, no did wonder. you know he made an album called O'Sullivan Plays Sullivan? Yes. Yes, yeah, I, I, I had to look that up too and, and find that. Um, uh, wonderful, guitar wonderful guitar player. 
wonderful guitar player. Um, it's just a, a, amazing. One thing I wanted to ask you quick before I forget about it. You talk about uh, being honored when anybody is covering um, your songs, which which is wonderful. Are you familiar with the, uh, and my daughter wanted me to ask you this. She's 27 and a fan, but the Uncle Devil Show, the their song Gilbert O'Sullivan? No. The Uncle wow. Devil. Yeah. The Uncle Devil Show is uh, Justin Curry of Delamitri. Oh, yeah, I, I, I knew that he was a fan. And I the McDermott uh, brothers that were in Simple Minds and a couple a couple things, but they have a song on their only album, which which Justin Curry still to this day says he had nothing to do with it. It's all part of the act, the image. It's mystery out. They have a song called Gilbert O'Sullivan, and it's all about, about the fact that because he sang Nothing Rhymes, he'll always be a friend of mine. And uh, I didn't know if you if you had even heard of that before. I, I, did, I, I didn't realize in my memory of it is is that it wasn't about i was talked about Part, in this one but, but yeah. uh, I, I didn't write it's it. not so much about you it's um it's like if i had a choice of, yeah. of listening to jerry mulligan or lonnie donegan screw them i i choose gilbert o'sullivan <laughs> but i just love me yeah, my daughters at the time this was when they were 12 14 years old and i mean to have them in the back of my car going Gilbert O'Sullivan is everything you could need. You know, it's just really neat. Then you play Gilbert O'Sullivan tracks for them, and they fall in love with with your tunes. And that just comes full circle. You know, that's, so. uh, yeah, that's that great. That's, that's uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about what's my favorite of your albums. Uh, I'm a writer, not a fighter, because A, it rocks, and B, it's very funky. Uh, I think like Ooh Baby, for example, Stevie Wonder, I, I can hear in my head Stevie Wonder doing an arrangement of that song. He certainly could have. Um, is that something that you decided I, it's now time for a change? Let's start rocking more? I, I don't know. There's no analysis or I don't think about it. It's just whatever I come up with. Uh, you know, I just an album is ready to be made. What have you got? Kind of routine. So, so I worked out the kind of songs and Ryan Olafide, Get Down was the big song for that album. And stuff is a number one record here and stuff. But a lot of it was recorded at Gordon's studio. Uh, and, you know, I was just happy with it. The mix of songs, I like to think there's a good mix there. Always. There is. If it's the same writer every time, you know, of the amount of albums I made, I'm no, I don't collaborate with anybody. It's just co-write with anyone. It's just me who writes all the songs. And so it's it's good that I'm able to do slow, fast, medium, up, humorous. And and because uh, that's, very important. If every song I wrote was a ballad, and you know, it's arguable that people would get bored quickly. So, and, I, how, and how did it, speaking of that album, how did it come about that you were doing the duet with Elton John on uh, "Get Down" and that BBC special? Because that was my special, and and um, we, the the director of the TV show, knew Elton and said that you know I think he'd like to make an appearance. Elton is, you know, is, is a fan of people who are successful. So he agreed to do it. I went to his home to meet him. So I, God, I was so impressed with his house. With all I can imagine. Had a huge record collection there, huh? When I went back to my house, which it was completely empty, I thought, my God, you know, <laughs> I, to do that and I, I need to do something about my house and stuff. But really nice person. And, and he, he appeared on the show. And, uh, yeah, what can I say? So it was really good. And he walked in. Obviously, I mean, how many how many rehearsals or takes did it take before you actually filmed that uh, that well, version? We didn't, we didn't do that for the actual show. Elton just did his song. Okay. For, for the TV special, and and uh, I did whatever songs I was doing. That was in our kind of that was filmed for our rehearsal. Oh, just, okay. Just playing around and, and stuff. Which was great. It, it was <laughs> it worked out. Wonderfully, which is a, which is, a, and I've been singing that song all day today. I walk my dog, and I can't, I can't help but uh, sing, get, get, get down. I think my neighbors are pretty much tired of that song by now. Uh, um, but, but interesting with Ooh Baby, I remember that it made the soul charge, which, which was quite a big deal back yes. in the other yeah. You know, but I, but I, I've never sang it on stage, David, because I have a thing with too many Ooh Babies. Ooh baby, 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 ooh baby. So I figure I'll arguably done a, a few too many ooh babies. So if I scream it out, if I scream out the request at your show, I, I, I'm, I'm out of luck. 
I'm constantly <laughs> hounded by people, genuine fans of mine, who say I must do it. <laughs> or, um, I need to put it in. I need to put it in. Well, I'll be there. I'll be in LA on March 18th. So <laughs> if you're going to put it in, I'm putting in the early request for it now. <laughs> I, might, I might. I might be able to do it. I'll have to learn it. Um, there's a few chord changes in there that I'm not quite sure about. Well, there's the other question. Besides the hits, you know, when you're going to go on tour here and do some different things, uh, you've you've probably got to really revisit your your catalog and, and try to remember how these things go. Some of the some of the tracks uh, that you haven't played live in a long time. And, you know, I've had a lot of trouble with that on on the on the new album we've done because I don't I'm not playing the songs outside of recording them. I right. have cassettes. I have cassette copies of the chords. Again. That's what Elliot said. You record on cassette still. <laughs> I still got that. Yeah, but I also have cassette copies of the middle eights of the new songs because okay. otherwise I'll have a bloody hard job in, in remembering where I went. <laughs> I had to say to my, my piano player in the band, I said, can you tell me what I played in this particular part of my song? And he, he's got no trouble because he can read music and he can tell me what, what the... You know, so but that's quite fun. I think that would be an interesting show right there. We'll, we'll take all of your twenty studio albums. We'll sit sit you on stage. And we'll just we'll yell out a, tr a track yeah, name yeah. and say play it. <laughs> no, no, and I and I know that you know there are artists out there who do that. Yeah, they, yeah. They Let me know what you want to hear. Jesus, I'd be in real trouble. <laughs> I'd be in real trouble. <laughs> well, how do how do you choose some of the deep cuts from your vast catalog? Um, what makes you say, yeah, we should do that as opposed to another one? Well, it's a balance. Uh, it's a balance, uh, David. There's a good variety of material there. And it's based on, as I say, the best known songs, of course, and the album tracks that people write to me about. There's a song I do called at one stage, Miss My Love Today. People really like that song. So that's in the act. And also it's played on electric piano as opposed to the acoustic piano. And so things like that are, are brought in. And then, then element of new material, which, which you know, not a lot, just enough. But it's over two hours. Every song is mine, so it's nice to have that mix. Sure. There's an element, there's an element of humor. You know, we do. I don't think I don't love you, but I think I like you, which really rocks. But it's only right. me and, and Bill, just the two of us. You know, but we, we can we can rock it up. <laughs> I'm so looking forward to it. Well, you're talking about your uh, your your new album is coming out in April. I think that's what Elliot said. Uh, BMG said it's going to drop in April, and it's called yes. Driven. Yeah, it was going to be called Body and Mind, but that, then that was put on the back burner. Then it was going to be called um, uh, Moderation in Excess, and that that was, <laughs> that, that was a very but. But Driven is kind of, in a sense, that I am driven it, musically. I'm driven, always wanting to the love of the craft that I have. Mm -hmm. The joy of the songwriting, the joy of meeting people when we perform on concerts and stuff. That's still in me. I'm 75 years of age and stuff. You know, should I be retiring? Should I be out there in the garden doing something? I love it. I mean, I, and I I listen to the radio. We talked earlier about the power of radio and, and the influence. I hear new stuff. You know, I can hear Kanye West or, or Jay-Z. Maybe there's not much of a song that I'll get out of it, but the production value will, will teach me something. Right. So there's, there's always something to learn from new acts. You know, it's Taylor Swift. I love John Mayer, Dua Lipa. I love Alison Krauss and stuff. We recorded an album in Nashville. We met her because her husband was the guitar player on the record we did there. And so, you know, so I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I buy everything uh, because it's important. You have to like what's going on because that's a, there's a danger if you don't, you'll lose it. Right. So do you think we'll hear some? Uh, well, not do you think? Uh, will we hear some new styles from you on Driven? Uh, interesting lyrics, uh, David. There's a song called If Only Love Had Ears. Mm. So work that one out. <laughs> I couldn't even imagine. So I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> uh, one, al one album that you did, which I, which is still very striking in, in, uh, to me, is Singer Sewing Machine, because there were some, at the time, some very modern sounds. Uh, yeah. That that were, were, I mean, there was there's one song in there that I think sounds like Coldplay or Radiohead, which uh, yeah. I don't know if that's what you were going for, but as you say, it just it's just something that came out of you. Well, that was before their time, so mm -hmm. <laughs> so it's, uh, I you know I mean it, it, I was proud of it I, and I was happy with the title because it, it got away from the singer songwriter. So, so I thought singer sewing machine seemed like a, a nice. <laughs> I love it. 
Because everybody's a singer-songwriter today, right? Everybody. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you, you, if you ask an audience of, of a thousand people who are watching you or two, they, how many people here are painters and decorators? And maybe a half dozen hands will go up. How many people here write songs? <laughs> so it's... Uh, well, it's, yeah, if... Um, yeah, I, I like to ask this kind of a, of, a, of a question with artists who have a, a quite the catalog. Um, you know, if there's a meteor coming to the earth and, and we all have about an hour left, what what's what's the song that Gilbert O'Sullivan wants to sit down at the piano and this is the, the one song he's going to play with his couple minutes he's got left? <laughs> That's great. No, I mean, really, I mean, what what, what does Gilbert O'Sullivan... Yeah, don't look up, but... Uh... It's a kind of... It's a it's kind of pretentious query in a way with the world going to end. But yeah. I, for the for, for argument's sake, I mean, not of my songs, but of anybody's song. Is anybody's right? song? I mean, I don't. Yeah. yeah, no question. Fool on the hill, uh, Peggy Lee. Oh wow! All time favorite. Wow! Wow! Folks who live on the hill. Folks wow! Who live on the hill. It's it's uh, it's my favorite in my top ten of uh, favorite songs. She's number one. We work with Peggy. See, that's 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 here on material issues. That's the kind of questions we like to ask because nobody asks that kind of a question, and we would not have known a, a little tidbit. I mean, if you ask David his you know, favorite song of all time or mine, it's probably things that people would never have thought yeah. we would say, and that's an, an interesting, an interesting thing to know about Gilbert O'Sullivan. I mean, you know, coming coming from a master at his craft, uh, you know what what song is 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 important to him is really neat. But Jerome Kern, Jerome Kern, who wrote the wonderful melody writer, Jerome Kern. And, and if um, I may also put you on the spot here, uh, of all of all the uh, versions of your songs that other people have done, uh, which one is your favorite? Well, the most recent one mentioned earlier was Diane Kroll. Oh, Diana Kroll, yeah. Diane Kroll, who did it with Michael Bublé. Lovely version. The Michael Bublé, uh, the Neil Diamond that I mentioned earlier, really nice. And the fact that he wrote me a little letter hope that I liked it and stuff. Uh, so I go right back to people like, like um, Nina Simone, who I love Nina Simone. She's a big influence for me with her piano playing and stuff. Uh, so there, there are lots of artists. Um, um, Sarah Vaughan version is fantastic. You know the line, I remember I cried when my father died. Uh, right. And she says, I remember I cried when my daddy died and stuff. Mm -hmm. Little things like that sort of bring yeah. a smile on my face. But, um, but I, <laughs> I have a version of it which is just mind-bending and it's by a japanese band oh and they're a heavy metal band. <laughs> oh my <laughs> they do it at 250 miles a what's the name of the band i need to hear we'll have to google this <laughs> you'll have to send an email to us and we'll, we'll Will forward you the name of the band. I mean, maybe, maybe even send you a copy somehow. And <laughs> but it is just mind-boggling. <laughs> <laughs> that I got to hear. <laughs> well, I do. I do know that um, besides recording, you are in the piano moving business. Uh, <laughs> Elliot sent us that great photo. <laughs> <laughs> Which is awesome. That's made of polystyrene. So <laughs> <laughs> I had to bring that up. He, he had sent a a, a bunch of uh, pics and things that, that we could use. I know we 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 showed this one, which is uh, you know, you're alone again naturally. Just Gilbert tour coming up here, um, which is going to be great at all the city winery locations. Uh, I can't I can't wait for March seventh. It's sneaking up on us quickly. Sneaking up on us quickly. So uh, I'm looking forward to it too. So. Uh, indeed, indeed. But um, um, Southpaw was the first album that you produced by yourself. Did you find that to be daunting, or was that something you were really looking forward to and you were really ready for it? Well, obviously, I was beginning to do a few of the B-sides. Gordon was spending more time in America with Tom, so there was this gap, this period of time. And I, you know, I was I was able to do it. Gordon had his studio, and I just liked the idea of being able to make an album with him not being there all the time. It was useful for me to to take the, to get in control and stuff and production. I wasn't necessarily wanting to be a producer big time, but I liked the, I enjoyed the process of doing that. And I'm um, very happy with it. But I'm, you know, I, I like working with producers. I've always said, interestingly enough, 
The current album, The Gilbert Azul Man, was produced by Ethan Johns. And what Ethan brings to the album is different to what the current producer has brought. Andy Wright, who produced the new album, produced Simple Mind, Simply Red. Uh, Ethan's produced people like Laura Marling, people in the past. He's, 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 but their approach to production is very different. And when you have the same writer of every song, it's good to have that, that different sense of production value coming in to make the record. There's a danger if you use the same producer each time, you'll get a sameness. So I think right. it's quite important. Yeah. What, the, what the producer will bring will add to what the person singing and writing the songs has done. So I think that's quite, quite an important point. Because people have said, why don't you, if it was so good with Ethan, why don't you work with him again? And he would be happy to. But I said, no, it's, it's, we need to, it's just, let's see what somebody else can bring to the table. Right. right. And, it work, and it works. So touch wood. And you yeah. guys like what, what I've done this time. So. Oh, we're looking forward to it. Yeah, it won't be available while you're touring. It's not, it's not going to be released until April. July. It comes out in July. It comes out so in July. July. Okay. But we'll have, to sing, we'll have a single out in April. Okay. And we'll have a single out in June, I think, so to preempt. All right. So this is, kind of a, this is kind of a, here I am, I'm back in the U.S., here, something's coming up, and then we'll release the thing, and then we'll come back again for another for another yeah. tour <laughs> post yeah. post release uh, yeah, God that should be the plan yeah. did the, yeah. did covid did the pandemic allow for you more more time more energy to write uh, well, than, no, the, the beauty of i'm a solitary person anyway i i need the solitude to write particularly with the lyrics and stuff i need that time on my own so lockdown where we where where we were um uh, isolated. It, that's what I'm at anyway when I write lyrics, uh, David. You know, because I'm I'm with when Ethan Johns was on board for the, for the current album. I didn't write the lyrics when he heard the tunes. But I spent the next three months doing it. With this album, I wrote all the lyrics before meeting the producer because I had the gap w with lockdown and, and isolation to be able to do it. So I need that solitude to write lyrics and stuff. Like, lyrics are time consuming, mm -hmm. a lot longer than than. Uh, the melodies which which, which happen by uh, by practice and, and uh, sitting there coming up with something so you probably have quite the you probably have quite the catalog of uh, books full of lyrics I would think by, by now well not really um, uh, mark I mean the lyrics as I say the lyrics to this new song the, the new album were, were written leading up to it so yeah. the three months before, Four months before during lockdown i wrote all the lyrics for the songs and and but there was a few that that i played extra ones for him which are completed and it's arguable that going back to what i mentioned to you earlier about writing about things that are current for example a couple of the songs on this new album deal with mention uh, climate change oh wow it's re relevant to us all and sure I like, and i like to in involve things like that because in a subtle way i'm not trying to preach um, to anybody in a subtle way, you can get a point across about what's going on in the world. And climate change is affecting everybody. So there's no harm in having an element of that in, in your lyrics. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, some people are denying it, of course, but yeah, well, what are you going to do? They're the people that say the earth is flat. So. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Just saw the graphic where it showed all the planets in our universe, and all of a sudden they showed the Earth flat. And people just scratching your head like, "Huh?" <laughs> Ours exists that way. But uh, well, we certainly wish you the absolute best on the uh, on the upcoming uh, tour. I mean, David and I are both going to see you, so uh, um, I, you must come and say hello to you. Must come back and say hello. We would be we would be glad to. We would love to. Absolute honor. Yeah, yeah, absolute yeah. honor. You know, what, so. what what's something that we haven't covered that you would like uh, your fans to know uh, about this tour or anything else? Just a, just how I'm genuinely looking forward to appearing in front of them and, and hoping they like what we do and stuff. And the example we've had with the shows, the two shows we did in 2018, the reaction was fantastic. So if it continues along that way, it'll be a delightful experience. You know the. the, the there's great joy in performing in front of people who like what you're doing. It's it's, it's very special, and uh, and it, it couldn't be better than to be doing it for you. Yeah. So. Well, we wonderful. We're honored. Um, we we so much look forward to it, cool. and it's been an absolute pleasure having you on Material Issues. Well, Thank you so yeah. much. 
Thank you for having me. What can I say? That really is. You know, we have, David and I have both grown up being music lovers, and we've had a wonderful opportunity to be able to talk to a lot of artists that we uh, idolize might be too big of a word, but, you know, you, you grow up with it and they mean a lot to you. And Gilbert, um, your music has certainly in that category. And, and, and um, you're the first artist so. that I think we've had on where your songs are really part of the soundtrack of our lives. Mm -hmm. I, you know, as Mark alluded to earlier, when I listen to, you know, not just your hits, but some of your albums, it takes me back to, to that time and mm -hmm. uh, all the emotions and certain memories. And that, that's really, really precious. Yeah, well, thank so you, thank for you for that. Yeah, thank you for that. <laughs> Gilbert, be safe, be happy, be healthy. Uh, love to Tara and the family. We, we appreciate everybody's help in putting this together. Absolutely. And uh, we will see you real soon in the United States. So anybody else who, who hasn't uh, figured it out yet, go on to gilbertosullivan.co.uk. You'll find the tour dates. Get tickets. See Gilbert in the United States. Absolutely. And uh, you. you have have a great night, Gilbert. Thank you so much. Good to talk to you guys. Take care. Yeah, thank you. Bye bye. Keep bye -bye. safe. Bye bye. Well, well David. Wow. Yeah, I know. I mean, I just I just sit here and I go, wow. I know it's like an, you know when I interviewed Brian Wilson, it was a little bit different because I was sitting literally, uh, you know three feet from him in his house. Right. I was having an out-of-body experience when that happened. Right. That kind of happened here, too, even though, you know, we're, we're, we're detached because of, uh, it, for a lot of reasons, but thankfully we had the technology. But still, this was, this it's was pretty a, surreal. <laughs> it, well, that's, that's the real, that's the word I look for. It's surreal in many ways. And you and I have both have, have had the experience of either being in the presence of, an artist that has meant a lot to us uh, in our, you know, in our youth and our, in our teens and, and whatnot. Um, and we've done it here uh, online with a lot of great artists. Um, it, 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 it's just surreal to be able to, to connect the dots in such a yes. personal way. And um, yeah, I'm grateful to be able to do that. I'm grateful to be able to do it with you, my friend, and, and to have uh Someone like Gilbert O'Sullivan talking about some iconic songs uh, for, from uh, from from my childhood and and yeah, on, it's gonna onward. Be, it's going to be hard to top this. Now we have to find other people with number one records. So I don't know how we're <laughs> we're going to have to look down the charts. Let's see. Who can yeah. we get? Who had a number one hit? Oh, maybe we can get them. Yeah, we're well, going to do that now. I mean, everything else is going to be Alone answered. Again Naturally was number one for what, off and on for like six weeks, I think it was, in the U.S. So we just have to find somebody who was seven weeks. That's true. <laughs> it's the only way to top it, you know? Would it count uh, if somebody had number ones in other countries? Like, well. Uh, <laughs> I know, really. <laughs> That's not quite the same, is it? It's not, but that that would also. Uh, who do you th who do you think is making this comment? Nick Jonas. <laughs> um, that's okay. No, no disrespect to the Jonas Brothers, but uh, no, thank you. Uh, well, David, that was one for that was one for the books. Episode number thirty nine of Material Issues with Gilbert O'Sullivan. And speaking of material issues. What do we got coming up? We've got a we've got, we've got a, a full schedule uh, coming up until the end of uh, the end of March. Wow! Uh, just like Gilbert, actually. Yeah. Um, but we're starting even earlier because next week, um, next week is uh, a guy who was part of a band who didn't quite have a number one, but they did have uh, uh, a top ten and several top twenties. Uh, he joined them for their final album, which. Uh, a lot of people think is their best. You ask John Borak, uh, who's a huge authority on power pop, of course, ask him what he thinks of starting over. And that's his favorite. And mm -hmm. uh, so we're honored to have Mr. Scott McCarl wow. of Raspberries on next week here on Material Issues, February 23rd. Um, then on March 2nd, speaking of power pop, we have the man who, is so much responsible for the power pop renaissance that took place in the mid nineties because he, he had, uh, 
he had uh, put out a magazine called Yellow Pills, which was uh, completely devoted to that genre. He opened the eyes of a lot of, of people who love power pop who wondered, are there any others out there like me? Because in the early 90s, of course, power pop was really not happening very much uh, on the radio or elsewhere. And he also he also opened the eyes of a lot of musicians who said, you know what? There really is a uh, there's an audience for this. And we love this kind of music. So, you know, now we've got people to to record for and to play for. So let's start uh, let's start doing um, some power pop. So, you know, indirectly, for sure, Yellow Pills uh, fostered that that renaissance and the man who published it and edited it and all that good stuff. Mr. Jordan Oakes will be on Material Issues on March 2nd. And not only, uh, uh, you know, does he deserve all those accolades, he's a hilarious guy. So this and is that, amazing. And that's why I'm, uh, I'm lamenting a little bit that I may not be here for that show. Uh, yeah, yeah I, even, I, if it's in, even if it's in the middle of a match you're broadcasting. I, I may have a doubleheader uh, state playoff basketball game I got to broadcast, but I can, I can log in from, from that that from that area just to say hi for a little bit. Um, but yeah, that uh, it's just the way timing works out with, with a lot of responsibilities, but, but Jordan will be great. Great guest. Good thing I'm irresponsible and have, uh, <laughs> don't have anything else I have to do. Um, so I'll, yeah, I, I hopefully you'll be there at least for yeah. a bit, but I know I will. I will try. Um, March 9th. Again, you know, we're talking about power pop heroes. Uh, there aren't too many be, uh, who, um, who would or who is elevated in the pantheon as uh, this man, uh, guitarist for one of the greatest uh, power pop bands ever, the Smithereens, Mr. Jim Babjack will be our guest on yeah. uh, March 9th. Uh, possibly Dennis Dyken as well, a drummer for the Smithereens, but we don't know yet. Right now it's Jim, and um, you know we're really looking forward to yeah. that. Yeah, on March awesome. 16th, we're going to go back to. Uh, the jolly old UK of the 60s, because this gentleman wrote some really, really cool songs for a lot of bands like the Hollies and uh, Manfred Mann. He wrote Listen to Me. He wrote Ha Ha Said the Clown, a few others. Um, he put out an album, kind of like, as we mentioned, Graham Goldman uh, doing the Graham Goldman thing where he, he, he recorded his own versions of stuff he wrote for other people. This right. gentleman did the same thing at that, uh, that, at that time. And um, he's great. We had him at, at uh, IPO Liverpool a few years ago. It was really, uh, it was certainly one of my proudest moments. And we're very proud to have Mr. Tony Hazard on uh, March 16th. That'll yep. be, he's a really nice guy. And awesome. uh, I'm really looking forward to that. Then on March 23, we're going to inject some pulchritudinous uh, guests. <laughs> That's good word. <laughs> I said inject. I didn't mean it that way, folks. But they, not only are they beautiful, but they are—they um, really rock. They're great performers, uh, awesome songwriters. We've had this band at IPO many times, and we're, we would love to have them as many times as we can anywhere they, uh, they want to play. Sly Boots, the band from New York, um, not all girl, but the three front people are, are women, and uh, they rock, as I said. And uh, we're really looking forward to having them on March 23rd. Yeah. And then on March 30th, um, drummer extraordinaire, member of one of the most iconic bands of all time, still going strong, still you know doing session work on many different records, including a tribute that came out to an album that he had originally been on. Um, so um, things kind of came full circle with Ram On, a tribute to my favorite Paul McCartney album, Ram. And uh, this this drummer remained with the band for a few other albums afterwards. And uh, yeah, we're very honored to have uh, Denny Sywell of Wings, uh, yep. Paul McCartney fame. Um, and uh, we, we have to thank the producer of Ram on Fernando Perdomo for uh, who had been yeah. a guest on material issues. He set this up for us. So uh, we're very thankful for that. We're thankful to have Denny on. So that's through March. Yeah, uh, 
that's really that's really cool. In April, I'm hoping what I'm hoping that sometime in April, we have somebody who is a bucket list person for me. I've reached out uh, to somebody who may know him. I don't want to say any more than that, but uh, if we get him, this will be very very cool. And of course, you know, we'll continue to have as many cool guests yes. as uh, as uh, are uh, willing to be on our show. And um, which is yeah, one thing I like about material issues is that uh, we're, we're trying to get some interesting people that not everybody talks to all the time. And, uh, right. um, and, uh, know, from, and that's from, really cool from today from today and the past. Yep. Um, we, you know, the more the merrier and, you know, we're always trying and I think we've done pretty well so far. And we've got 39 episodes under our belts. That, that makes me, that makes me go. Whoa. I know. Really? <laughs> How did that I happen? Do that except I have no hair. So <laughs> this I, isn't uh, this isn't real. This isn't real. <laughs> this well, bald head is very real. <laughs> but yeah, tonight was an absolute pleasure, and uh, I hope everybody enjoyed it. And of course, if you did, just tell your friends to uh, join the Facebook group. Uh, Material issues. Just join the group. You'll that'll let you know who's coming up the following week. Um, or if you can't do that, if you can only have access to YouTube, it's materialissues.com over in YouTube. And on both places, the archive of all 39 shows is there. You can watch them. Um, and, just, you yeah, should. and you should. Uh, thank you. Someone just uh, popped up a great show. Thank you very much. We appreciate, uh, we appreciate the comments. And, um, you know, as long as people are enjoying it and we're enjoying it, we'll keep bringing you episode after episode of Material Issues. Yes, thank you all very, very much for, for being a part of what we're doing. We, we appreciate you, and uh, we look forward to seeing you again. So, all right. Mark, uh, have a great uh, rest of your night and week, and um, we'll, we'll see you next time. All right, everybody. Cheers. Good night, all. Good night.